section 9. We're actually going to get there this time. We're actually going to get there. Section 9, divine healing and the will of God. We're still there. And we just showed you, we were going through some of these uh, different scriptures and showed you how to take each scripture and see, for instance, uh, about two-thirds of the way down, it says Third John 1, 2. Um, wait, no, I'm going to go back up. Yeah, actually, I'm, I want to go to Acts 10, 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the, notice it's with the Holy Ghost. I don't know if you see that in your manual. With the Holy Ghost. With the Holy Ghost. And I don't have my pen. With the Holy Ghost and power. <clears throat> and notice. <clears throat> and who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So God's will must be that if God is with someone, that they should be anointed with the Holy Ghost, as we say, and with power, and that they go about doing good and healing all that are oppressed of the devil. Why? Because Jesus said, this is, I only do the will of my Father, so that's his Father's will. For some reason, we have decided to believe in the, in the church as a whole that God's will changes from person to person. And there's nothing in there that says that. Okay? Uh, God's will is that none should perish. And yet if people believe that his will changes from person to person, what makes you think it's his will that you not perish? See, we either have to choose to believe it or not believe it, one or the other. Now, so you can see how to do this. So we can go on. Uh, you can see page 73. What is divine healing? Okay, let's just be real specific. Divine healing is not God directing the doctor's hands. Okay? And, you know, maybe he'll get a word of knowledge or something like that. That's good, but that's, that is not divine healing. Divine healing is not connected to exercise, diet, or nutrition. Even though most so-called healing ministries today, that's what they advertise. Here's what you got to do. And they bring doctors on that are nutritionists and everybody else. And, and listen very carefully. I'm, I'm not saying that you shouldn't exercise and eat right and do all that kind of stuff, right? I don't do it. I think you should. But, uh, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> now, I'm, I've been doing a 57-year experiment now and, and to see the effect of not eating vegetables, and I've found no ill effects so far. So, <clears throat> now, so, um, but, but people uh, will look at it a lot of times, and I know even like last Sunday we had uh, Clinton here that was talking about when we went to uh, Thailand during the tsunami, and he was talking about how I was going to live off chips and, 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 and Coca-Cola. And honestly, that's not totally true. I mean, I, I do eat a lot of chips and Coca-Cola. Uh, and I could survive for a week or two in a country doing just that or maybe even longer if I had to. Uh, many times it's actually preferable to drink Coca-Cola in other countries because it's bottled, it's sealed, it's, you're not drinking the water. Right? So there are benefits to it. And there is water in Coca-Cola. It's a minute amount. Uh, but... <laughs> But my body has become an expert at siphoning out the actual water from it, so it's still good. Um, but uh, when, when I was there, I will tell you this. Some of the best chicken I've ever eaten was in Thailand. They have some fried chicken over there that is just phenomenal, and they cook it right on the side of the streets, and you just walk right up, and they, they have it cooking right there in the, in the walks, and it's, it's amazing. It's really good. And so I did eat chicken while I was there. I have found chicken on every continent. Right? Uh, it's cooked many different ways. I've never seen it cooked bad yet. Okay, so it's, it's cooked all kinds of ways. And whenever you buy a Coca-Cola at these little side vendors, uh, street vendors, uh, they will actually take a small plastic bag and put some ice in it, usually, and sometimes, and then they will take, pour the Coke into it and then put a straw in it and then tie it off with a rubber band. And so it's a little plastic bag 
and you just have the little plastic bag and you just sip through the straw and that's their way of buying a Coke. And, and honestly, you know, they'll take a two liter Coke and that'll last a long time like that and they charge you the same price as the two liter Coke, right? So uh, they make some good money off of it. So, uh, but I've been all over. I did not just eat Cokes and chips while I was there. That, that might've been the majority, okay? But that wasn't all I ate. And that was where I was at. And we had about six or eight people with us. And I went up to a KFC because they had them there, and, uh, which actually we found out that uh, now the KFC in South Africa actually means Kenyan fried crow, okay? <laughs> it does not mean Kentucky fried chicken. Let me tell you, if you've eaten, it's, it's different there. But anyway, in, in Thailand, it was great, okay? And, uh, but I went up and ordered it, and I said, you know, I need this, and we ordered a lot of food for everybody. And then when I got up there, I paid for it, and they didn't mind me paying but when I went over to pick it up, they hand me one little box. And I said, no, 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 we, we, we need more, more. We need more. There's more. There's more. And they're like, no, no, this is enough for you. And I'm like, not really. But yeah, that might work for me, but it's not going to work for everybody else. And they thought I was ordering too much. And so they took the money for the order, but then they only wanted to give me a box. So we had to <laughs> straighten that out. <laughs> I, told, I, told, I told everybody there, I know what you are eating because I can finish this box off and I'll go to the next KFC and get another box. So, um, <clears throat> but... I just want you to know that I did not just live on Cokes and Chip when I was in Thailand. We had chicken. So, just like in South Africa, we have Nando's. Nando's in South Africa, that's where you want to eat. It's chicken all the way across. Poly uh, what was it? What, I'm trying to remember what kind of chicken it was. Um, Portuguese chicken. Yeah. And you can get no taste, mild, hot, and screen. That's pretty much the three levels you got. So, it's good. It's all good. So, after you eat the hottest one, you just can't taste anything else. So, now we're talking about the what is divine healing. I want to go through it. Divine healing is not immortality, right? Just because you get healed doesn't mean you're going to live forever. Okay? I've had people say, well, if, if divine healing is true, how will I ever die? I'm like, really? That's what you got to worry about. That's, that's, <laughs> like, so, you know, hold your breath. You know, if you do it long enough, <laughs> if you do it long enough, it'll work. Okay? <laughs> now, Divine healing is not immunity, right? But we do have to understand that immunity has been promised to us, okay? I, I, nothing should by any means hurt me. I touch all kinds of contagious diseases. I've gone over. First time I went to Africa, my mother-in-law uh, at that time was uh, still Jehovah's Witness. And I'll never forget it because she said, you know, when I was going over there, she said, you're going to go over there and you're going to catch something and bring it back and kill us all. <laughs> I said, I'm not going over there to catch anything. I'm going over there to kill some things. And so we've gone over. I have touched every kind of disease, every type of illness you can imagine. Uh, put my hand into some pretty gooey mess. I mean, it's just it literally. Um, and you say, did you have to do that? No, I didn't. I did it. I had to do it not to get them healed, but to make sure that that thing knew I wasn't afraid of it. Right? So you have to realize this, these sickness and diseases... They have minds of their own. They are entities, okay? I'm not saying they're all devils, but I'm saying they, they do have entities and they will obey or disobey based on whether you have faith or don't have faith. It's that simple. And so uh, there are times whenever you need to enforce things and let them know where you stand, right? We'll talk about that for days over, I'm pretty sure. <clears throat> Next, <clears throat> divine healing is the power of God working within a person's body to remove sickness or disease and or to repair the part of the human body that has been affected by sickness, disease, or demonic influence. <clears throat> Everybody that Jesus healed later died. So it's not immunity. It's not immortality. 
If a person continues doing what they did to get sick the first time, then the sickness may come back on them. So the, what it does is it gives you a chance to change. Okay. <clears throat> then we talk about the, the sovereignty of God. Uh, divine healing does not affect or interfere with God's sovereignty. Actually, it establishes it. The thief, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came to give life and that more abundantly. <clears throat> when the enemy, the thief, Satan, tries to come in to kill, steal, or destroy, we act as Jesus' ambassador to stop the thief from accomplishing his goal by bringing the abundant life Jesus came to provide. This is the body of Christ enforcing God's sovereignty, not interfering with it. Just as a policeman enforces a city's sovereignty, by enforcing that city's laws. Now, below that I have a definition of sovereignty. Uh, it is the dictionary definition. It means supreme authority or power, supreme power or authority. The authority of a state to govern itself or another state. One holding supreme independent authority over a region or state. <clears throat> One that does not have to answer to another in the governing of its affairs. Now, uh, the key to this is very simple this. God's sovereignty doesn't mean he gets to do anything he wants, anytime he wanted to, and he can change everything, right? Now, the fact is, God does do everything he wants when he wants to do it, because what he wants to do is always right. And so he, but it doesn't mean that he can just, uh, the sovereignty of God is not the same as what we would think of as the fickleness of God. God is not fickle, right? He doesn't wake up one morning and say, okay, today I'm going to do this, and then tomorrow I'll do something different. No, he is the same he changes not. He's the same all the time. Right? Now, <clears throat> on page 74, you can see, is healing always God's will? And we give you four or five different scriptures there, or one scripture, but four or five different translations of each one using the word I will or having to do something with that. And you can see the definition of that word over on page 75. On page 75, it gives the Strong's definition for the simple word I will. It does not just mean I will do it. It means literally I will do it because it's my desire and nature to do it. And because it's in the uh, present tense, it means I am always willing. Right. That would actually be a more accurate def uh, translation. I'm always willing. And the reason I'm always willing is because that's my nature. That's my character. And we know that according to Hebrews 13:8 that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he never changes. And so if he was ever willing, he's always willing, right? So these are just some things, and I give you the scriptures there to look at and go through it. Now, <clears throat> go to chapter 10. And we're going to run through these uh, 10 and 11 together fairly quick. And if we can, we might even get to channel, to channel, to section 12. I'm not, I'm not sure we will get there today. But section 12 is really short anyway. But in section 10, and when you get down to it, this is really the heart of the matter. The most important aspect of divine healing is whether it is actually in redemption itself. Is physical bodily healing in Jesus' redemption? In other words, when Jesus was whipped and beaten, crucified, did he provide our physical bodily healing in that redemption. And that's the real key. Because if we get that, if we can prove that without a shadow of a doubt, then automatically every other argument becomes a moot point. It is wasted, it's useless, because if God included it, and here's how we have to look at it, and I'll show you this in the scripture itself. 
if God included physical healing in the same scriptures that in the exact same scriptures, literally, that we see he has provided salvation from sin and eternal life, then those two stand or fall together. And either healing is part of it along with salvation or we don't have salvation. So you either have salvation and healing or you have no salvation. You get that? So now understand we try to be polite, nice, friendly, that kind of thing. We try to get along with people. But at the same time, there are entire denominations that have made their basis uh, upon the fact that they choose to believe that some of God's benefits don't count, right? And they have decided that thing. Now, <clears throat> you know, we, we try not to be too adamant toward them, but at the same time, the truth is the truth, whether people agree to believe it or not. And so we need to see what the truth is, and we need to decide to believe it, regardless of what anybody else believes. So let's look at this. Section 10, page 77. God made man a physical, spiritual being. So redemption must be a physical, spiritual redemption. It has to be. <clears throat> Sin and sickness are two fruit from the same tree. Sin and sickness are always grouped together. Now, we do want to differentiate something here. <clears throat> we'll see this in just a minute, how they are connected. But we also have to realize that they are, even though they were paid for in the same process, same time period, there was a distinct payment for each thing. Okay? And because of that, and see, what people have made the mistake is when they try to connect these two together too closely, then they end up saying, well, then whatever's true of salvation would also be true of healing. And so, uh, you know, to, to be saved, we have to repent from sin. So to get healed, we've got to repent from sin. Okay, that would be a natural way of looking at things if they were truly that connected. They are connected in the sense that man's sin caused sickness and disease. So sickness and disease is a result of the sin of Adam and Eve, but it is not caused by an individual sin, right? We've already seen that. Now, so let's just take it piece by piece and look at it. Psalm 103, verse 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, this is King James. In the modern English, it would, be, it would say something like this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and don't forget any of his benefits. Right? You understand this? Both saying the same thing. Right? So he says, forget not all his benefits. He says, don't forget any of them. Now, look at He starts to name the benefits. Number three, verse three. Who forgives all thine iniquities. Who healeth all thy diseases who redeems thy life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. Now let's go back and look at these verses individually. First off, verse 2 tells us, now notice what he did. David is writing this psalm and he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. What is he saying? Soul, bless God. Soul, don't forget any of his benefits. So, soul, let me remind you what his benefits are. And then he starts going through them. The first one he mentions, who forgives all thine iniquities. Now, does that word all mean all or does it mean some? Is there still some iniquities that I, you know, I've forgiven these, but not that one, right? Now, understand, 
what I'm saying here is that when he refers to this, he's saying there are no sins too big for him to include in his salvation. Right? That's what I'm getting at. Right? Now, because it says all, we believe all. Right? Then he says, who healeth all thy diseases. Now, it's the same word, all is all, in both places. So if he forgives all of our iniquities, and then it says he heals all of our diseases, why do we think he forgives all of our iniquities, but yet there's some sicknesses, some diseases that he doesn't heal? See? Well, because we, we say, well, it, it's because, you know, he's trying to use them for something. Well, then why don't we say the same thing about sin? You say, well, but the wages of sin is death. Well, part of the wages of sin is you need healing. That's part of the wages of sin. If, if Adam and Eve hadn't, hadn't sinned in the garden, we wouldn't be needing healing, right? Matter of fact, Romans, and I think it has it in here a little bit later on. <clears throat> in Romans, yeah, Romans chapter 5, in verse 2, it says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for, all, for that all have sinned. Notice what it says. Man sinned, and because of sin, death came, right? So until man sinned, there was no death on the earth. Can we agree with that? Okay. Now, what that tells us is, yes, dinosaurs did walk with man. Why? Because none of them died until they fell. Until Adam and Eve fell, there was no death on the earth. So they walked until Adam and Eve fell, and after that is when they died. So if you try to put that together, now you can start looking at some of the things that Dr. Carl Baugh or uh, Ken Hovind and people like that have put together on creationism versus evolution, things like that. But we have to realize, no because there was no death in the earth, no dinosaurs died you know, 100 million years before man or anything else. They walked with man, they were there, and they didn't die until Adam and Eve sinned. And you can see that also down at Glenrose because they actually have the footprints of dinosaurs and men together in the limestone. We've been there, we've seen it, and uh, it's right there together. So men and dinosaurs walk together, right? So that's a by the way. I'm not even going to charge you for that one at all. It's just all of a sudden. Okay? Now, <laughs> so, all right. Notice what he says, who heals all your diseases. So if he forgave all your iniquities, he healed all your diseases. If he didn't heal all your diseases, he didn't forgive all your iniquities, right? Why? Who gives anybody the right to choose one of these to be true and the other not true? See, the problem is we try to pick and choose, and the, the, the reality is we have to decide to believe all of it. Amen? So choose it all or choose none of it. You don't have the right to pick and choose uh, which, which part you're going to believe. Then, now notice, I go all the way down to, to verse 6. The Lord executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. Notice here, look at the words. Remember the key to understanding the Bible is to read every word in a verse and to read it slower so that you actually pick it up because what will happen many times is you've heard it before and when somebody starts to read it, your mind will jump ahead because your mind's faster and you will remember it the way you've heard it taught. So it's important that if you're going to learn, you have to actually learn to read slower and read every word because I can't tell you the number of people that have listened to the CDs and DVDs and different things and they said, you know, I was driving, listening, and you said the Bible says this, and I said it does not. And so I stopped and I got my Bible out and looked, and you know what? It actually said what you said it said. And I said, well, that's because all I do is read the Bible. I, I, that's all I do for you. I don't, I don't give you theory. I just stand up here and read the Bible. See, I got the easiest job in the world. I, t I tell everybody, this is the easiest job in the world. All I do is stand here, read the Bible to you, and tell you it means what it says. Now, it really doesn't get much easier than that. 
Amen. I don't have to remember anything. I don't have to, you know, come up with anything. And, but if you're going to have some kind of man's theology, then you have to remember where that person stood and you got to remember their position on things. But if you just read the Bible, you don't really have to remember all that stuff. Right. And so uh, I, when my daughter, Rebecca, had a wreck in 2010, flipped her mom's car like six times. Uh, oh, she almost died. It was it was God to protect her. Well, <clears throat> whenever we had to go get another car, uh, we were the day she, the morning she had the wreck. The next day was our beginning of our annual conference. So I had to minister. <clears throat> we went to rent the car, and there was a young man there that was in a Bible school student, not one of mine, but at another school. <clears throat> and we told him we needed the car, and he said, "You know what for?" And he said, "Well, my, our daughter had a wreck and." wrecked her mom's car and I got this conference and my wife needs a car to drive during the conference. And so he said, you got a conference? I said, yes, an international conference. We'll be broadcasting it live and go all over the world on satellite and we're doing this. And we got to, he goes, when does that start? And I said, it's about six hours. And he said, and you're here doing this? And I said, yeah. He said, well, well, well don't you have to get ready? And I'm like, I am ready. He said, well, but he said, I could never do that. He said, what are you going to preach? I said, I don't know. And he said, he said, you're going to get up in front of a bunch of people and speak and you don't even know what you're going to say? And I said, yeah. He said, well, I, I couldn't do that. He said, how do you do that? And I said, it's easy. I fill myself with the Word of God every day of my life. Then when I get in front of anybody, I open my mouth and the Word of God comes out. And I don't have to worry about what comes out because I fill myself with the Word. You only have to worry about what's going to come out if you fill yourself on TV and movies and that kind of stuff. Then you got to worry about it because something's going to slip out. Yeah? But if you just fill yourself with the Word of God, you ain't got to worry about it. Right? You open your mouth, it'll come out. The hard thing is, is shutting your mouth and stopping. Yeah? Open your mouth and letting it flow, that's easy. It's stopping, as many of you can attest. It's hard for me to stop at times. So. <clears throat> but and I went back there a while ago. When we finished, I walked in. I said, you know, I just love my job. I love what I do. Yeah? I'm a blessed man. My life is blessed. I'm blessed. I love what I do. Amen? And the beauty of it is, any one of you can do it. You know, it's just that simple. You just got to decide yep, I should be doing this and jump out there. Okay, so now there may be some things in between you need to do, but I'm just saying overall you can do it. Okay, so notice verse six. The Lord executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. Now notice it does not say the Lord executes righteousness and judgment on all that are oppressed. He doesn't, ex he doesn't do that on them. He executes righteousness and judgment for them. Okay. Now, you'll notice this is legal terminology. Do you know everything in our salvation is legal terminology? Justification, right? propitiation. I mean, all of, all of these uh, terms that we use in dealing with salvation, they are all uh, legal terms, every one of them. And we use them in the legal system. And most of, the, of our legal system was based upon Mosaic law or at least biblical precedent, we might say. And here... Notice, this would be similar, and, and well, not similar, it's exactly. <clears throat> if you were involved in something, uh, several years ago, let me give you a, a real example. Several years ago, uh, some people uh, smoked cigarettes, and then they got enough people together, they got cancer from it, and they decided to launch a class action lawsuit against the tobacco companies. And so they put all that in, and to do that when they launched it, it wasn't just an individual case. They had to get enough people together so that it could become a class action lawsuit. And what they did was that when they, when they did that, they all came together in this one lawsuit 
and they were all represented by a certain group of lawyers. And then they went and basically filed charges or filed accusations against the tobacco companies. Now, all you had to do, and they went through the whole process, and eventually, uh, in part of it anyway, uh, the, the class action suit, the people in the class action lawsuit, not the tobacco companies, but the others, that, the victims, you might say, uh, the, the plaintiffs, they were awarded certain damages as part of that class action suit. Now, to be in that class action lawsuit, all you had to do was prove that you had used their product and that it had damaged, it somehow damaged you, right? So you didn't have to go in, uh, what, nothing special. You just had to prove you used it, their product, and that it hurt you. Now, <clears throat> when that happened and they went through the whole process, then eventually the judge took his gavel, hit it a couple of times and says, all right, I render verdict for the plaintiff. When that happened, that meant that the people that were injured won the case. That means that they were going to be awarded damages that had not yet been set, but they were going to do it, right? So when they heard that, they didn't even know what they were going to get. All they knew was, we won, and we're going to get something for it, right? That's all it was. And all, again, it wasn't about who they were or anything else. It was just that they'd been hurt, and they were named in that lawsuit. Now, this is what this is referring to. When he says, <clears throat> the Lord executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. Now, let me show you what this is saying. Where it says all that are oppressed, the oppressed, that's the plaintiffs in this class action lawsuit, right? That's the group. And if, you're, if you were in that group, then there was a verdict rendered in your favor. You hear that? He rendered judgment. He executed judgment for you if you were oppressed. So basically he said everybody that was oppressed, okay, who's the oppressor? Because automatically you read this, all that were oppressed, and then automatically I think of Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. So it ties sickness and disease with being oppressed, and it ties the oppressor as being the devil. So there's the connection. Now, here he says, now if you are part of that oppressed, then God has rendered a judgment for you. And that judgment is that you should be free, right? <clears throat> if he rendered a judgment that didn't end in your freedom, then it wasn't a judgment in your favor, right? He didn't really render a judgment, but he rendered a judgment. Matter of fact, I'm not going to go into it now, but if you look up Isaiah chapter 9, and you start looking in verse 6, uh, 4, 5, 6, 7, uh, all the way down to 9. It even talks about Jesus. He said, A virgin shall conceive and bring forth a child. For unto us a child is given, unto us a son is born, all that. And it talks about it. And he says, and it talks about he will uh, execute, well, actually, it uses the word judgment. It says, He will show forth judgment unto the Gentiles. And so he will show judgment. And it said that he would not of the scriptures, says that he would not judge after the sight of his eyes, but he would judge righteously, which is exactly what this scripture is referring to. So when Jesus came, every time he came to a person that was sick or diseased or anything else, he judged righteously. He didn't look at the situation and go, well, that person could have deserved it. Look what they're doing. He didn't look at that. Instead, he rendered judgment in their favor and said, uh, your, your heavenly father, 
has sent me to tell you you're free and to set them free. He, he has rendered judgment in your favor. Now, and that's what he did. He went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. So all he did was go about and all he did was tell the people he proclaimed liberty to the captives. All he was saying was, guess what? You've been freed. God has decreed that you are free. He has rendered judgment in your favor and I'm here to proclaim your freedom. You've been pardoned. You've been freed. Be free. And when he said that, they were no longer sick. When he said that, they were no longer demon possessed. Do you understand what I'm saying? So all of that, all what he was doing was the fulfillment of this verse. That's just one of them. Now, <clears throat> let's look at this. Uh, actually talk about that very thing there. Toward the bottom of the last paragraph, God as the great judge of heaven and earth has decreed freedom for all that are oppressed. Jesus went about doing good and healing, setting free all that the devil held in bondage through the oppression of sin and sickness. Now, we have no problem telling an unsaved person that Jesus died for them and fully paid the penalty for their sins, thus providing their salvation over 2,000 years ago, and that he will in no wise reject them if they accept his sacrifice. Isn't that basically the, the, the message? Okay. There is no question as to whether or not they can be saved. Have you ever looked at somebody and said, well, probably not you? You know, that is for most everybody, but probably not you, because you, yeah, you're, you're, you're off in that deep end. You know? I mean, there are certain people we would like possibly to think that couldn't be saved. You know? Hitler, okay? uh, you know, we can name others. Okay? We think, well, they, no, they just deserve. Well, guess what? Everybody does, right? And we don't know. Who knows? You know? uh, I don't know if Hitler gave any last-minute interviews, so we don't know what his state of mind was before he blew his brains out. Now, I don't know if he did that or not, but anyway. Uh, the point is, there is nothing beyond the reach of Jesus' blood. Amen? And if he could do that, then we would never tell anybody, uh, you, sorry, you can't get it. This is for everybody but you. Right? We would never say that. We would say, yeah, you, you know, this is for you. Well, you don't understand what I've done. No, the problem is you don't understand what Jesus has done. Right? It doesn't matter what you've done, it's what he's done. Because if you can do something worse than what he can cover, then Satan truly is bigger than God. Right? Because the minute you say that, you're saying that the Blood of Jesus is not good enough to cover your sin. So really, you're saying you're bigger than God because even God couldn't cover your sin, right? So it's not uh, humility. You know, it's not you being, oh, you don't know how bad I've been. It is you saying, I'm bigger than God and he couldn't cover my sin. So you just need to submit your will and agree that Jesus' blood is good enough for anything you might have done, right? Now, then he goes on. <clears throat> He says, there's no question as to whether or not they can be saved, yet the exact same wording is used for the healing of their physical sickness and diseases as is used for the healing, quote-unquote, of their spiritual sickness called sin. Now, I don't even like using that term because people try to twist it. The Greek words used and even the very tenses of the words used are exactly the same. The tense used is even the strongest tense in the Greek language. Now, you say, well, wait, this was... Uh, Psalm was, was Hebrew. That, that's true. Okay? We have to look at two things. Number one, as you look through these, you'll find this. The Bible that Jesus used. Okay? At that time, everybody spoke Greek. The Bible that Jesus and the apostles used was technically the Greek Septuagint, which was a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And if you take the Greek translation of the Old Testament and compare it with the New Testament, it is exactly the same words used, and the tenses used are, as I said, the strongest that can be found. 
Okay? When you use a word like shall, there is no stronger English word. Okay? And if you go back to the Greek, the Greek word used means exactly the same thing. It is the strongest word, shall. That means no maybe, no might, no if. Shall. In other words, it's as good as done. Okay? Now, <clears throat> we know that Jesus purchased man's health and healing just as he purchased our salvation from sin. Now, the way he did this, and I give you all the scriptures here, uh, and we'll tie this a little bit later on. We'll come back to this and look at page 79 where it talks about healing and communion. We will actually talk about that uh, a little bit later on. But I want you to go to page 80 and look at Matthew chapter 8, verse 16. <clears throat> and then we're going to tie that with Isaiah 53, which is the next page over. Matthew 8, 16, When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. Verse 17, so that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now, if you look, this is talking about Isaiah, and if you have your manual, you can open them together there. <clears throat> this verse in uh, Matthew eight seventeen is referring to uh, Isaiah 53, verse 4. Okay. Now, there if you look at it in the King James or the English version, it doesn't say sickness or disease. It says griefs and sorrows. But if you look up the word griefs and sorrows, it is literally the words sicknesses and diseases. Okay. Ailments, pains, all that stuff. So that's the, the reference. Now, the beauty of this is God's, okay, by God speaking through Matthew, he gave his commentary on what Isaiah 53 meant. Okay? So God, we know that Matthew was led by God, was directed by God, inspired of God to write his gospel. So we know that Matthew 8, 17 is God's own commentary of Isaiah 53, verse 4. So there's no question <clears throat> that Isaiah 53, 4 refers to, and I should say 4 and 5, refers to physical, bodily healing that is accomplished through Jesus' sacrifice, right? Now, there's, the best book I've ever read on this was a book by um, T.J. McCrossan, which was a Presbyterian uh, minister and was an examiner for the Presbyterian or, uh, ministry. He was in charge of testing candidates for ordination in their knowledge of Greek and Hebrew. He was one of the highest acclaimed Greek and Hebrew scholars of his day. And if you take his book, which is excellent, actually uh, Kenneth Hagin and Roy Hicks actually had it reproduced years ago now. Uh, I got a hardback copy, an original copy from Clement Humbard, which was Rex Humbard's brother, the one that put Catherine Kuhlman on TV. And he gave me a signed and autographed copy of this, of this book. The book that I have is the complete book. Whenever uh, Kenneth Hagin had it reproduced, he actually, they actually had it edited quite a bit. And so I took the two and compared them. And what they took out didn't really change anything. It, it, the information is still there. It's just a lot smaller and a lot easier to read. You can still find it. It's still put out by Harrison House. Uh, it is an excellent book to read. Should be, it should be in every person's library. And the one thing about T.J. McCrossin is he said, he ties <clears throat> Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, 
Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, and 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24, all together. Because in, Matthew, in Isaiah 53, it says in, where are we at here? Yep, uh, verse 5. But he was wounded for, this is on page 81, or Isaiah 53 in your Bible. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Right? Now notice the word, we are healed. And that is in a present tense, so it's always continuous. It's always present time. All right? Now the beauty of it is, and you, we could go deeper in this, so I'm just giving you a, a really kind of a um, very skim over the top look at this. If you want to do more detailed investigation, I would have you look, go back into it, study T.J. McCrossin's book, go into details on the Greek and the Hebrew of this, and you'll get deeper on this. But suffice to say at this point, this. <clears throat> Isaiah 53 says, With his stripes we are healed. Present tense, continual, always healed. You got that? So it was a, it was a state, but it's present tense. Then we see it mentioned again in Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. And there he tells us that he healed them all so that it might be fulfilled what Isaiah said. So here he is tying this Isaiah 53 specifically to physical healing. Nobody got saved whenever Jesus healed those people. You got that? Because nobody could get saved because Jesus hadn't paid the price for sin. He had not yet been crucified, so they were not saved but they were healed, right? And he tied Matthew and by the Spirit of God, tied Matthew 8, 16, Matthew 8, 16 and 17 with Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, tied them together and said, Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 specifically refers to physical healing because he said that the physical healing of the multitude was the fulfillment of that verse. Can we all agree with that? All right, we're all kind of set there. Now, <clears throat> To say that, and now you have so-called scholars. I say that on the basis of T.J. McCrossin, who was a scholar. <clears throat> if you go with me to 1 Peter, actually it's right there at the bottom of page 80. 1 Peter 2.24 <clears throat> says, Who his own self bear our sins in his, body on, on, in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Now notice, here, he says, and, and he is quoting from Isaiah, okay? He is referring back to Isaiah 53, by whose stripes we are healed, he says in verse 5. He says, by whose stripes you were healed. So we can see that we went from present tense in Matthew, in Isaiah 53 and in Matthew 8, and then something happened between Isaiah 53 and 1 Peter 2.24, to cause a change from present tense to past tense. So with Isaiah, we know it was coming. Every healing that Jesus did was based on the fact that he was going to pay the price for man's healing. And yet he had not paid the price. And so when he did pay the price, which was after Matthew 8, when he did pay the price, it shifted everything from by whose stripes we are healed to by whose stripes you were healed. In other words, he already paid the price. It's already done. It's already paid for. You got that? Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to automatically... If people say, well, if that's true, why, why, don't we, why don't we get sick? Or if we do get sick, why don't we automatically get healed? For the same reason that 
people don't automatically get saved because Jesus already went to the cross. You have to take that and apply it to yourself and agree. That talks about me. That is mine. It's true for me. And when you do that, then you see the effects of it. Now, the other thing is this. And the reason I said that about T.J. McCrossin is he said this. There are modern scholars, even today, that would say that 1 Peter 2.24 is referring to spiritual healing, not physical healing. Right? That's what they'll say. Now, I love T.J. McCrossin because he was, he was not a man that minced words. He said, and, and I, I've checked out the validity of this. He said, for any scholar to say that 1 Peter 2.24 only referred to spiritual sickness and not physical healing proves one of two things. Either that that person is not truly a scholar, meaning they cannot read and understand the original Greek and Hebrew, or it means they are purposely a liar. Now that's about as strong as you can get, right? In other words, you agree with me or you're a liar. That's pretty much what he said. Now, and if you go through it, now the beauty of this is, Whenever he says in 1 Peter 2.24 and in Isaiah 53, when he says, by whose stripes you, we are healed and by whose stripes you were healed. The word healed there, now you have to remember Isaiah was written in the Hebrew, but whenever it was translated into the Greek, in the Greek Septuagint, then they had to translate it into Greek. And so we can compare the Greek of 1 Peter 2.24 with the Greek of Isaiah 53. And if you compare those two Greek words, they are the same word, used the same way, and this is one of the main points. That Greek word is only used in reference to physical healing. Only. It is never used in reference to spiritual healing. Not one time. <clears throat> Matter of fact, it is so uh, connected to physical restoration that it was the same word used whenever the altar was tore down and they rebuilt it, restored it. They used that word for healed to refer to that altar being restored, which was a physical restoration. Right? So what that means is this. It was not referring in, in 1 Peter 2.24 to spiritual sickness because of this. Just another by the way. Whenever you were dead in your trespasses and sins, you didn't need, your spirit didn't need healing. Dead don't need healing, right? They need resurrection, right? So your spiritual sins were not healed. They were forgiven. They were remitted. And you spiritually were not healed. You were resurrected. You were a new creation, born again. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. Now, it was not, understand, it was not a spiritual healing. You did not receive spiritual healing when you got born again. You received spiritual rebirth, right? That's the difference. So we can go, we can go right on down the line. We could, we could draw this out. I could, I could make this a whole seminar just by itself on healing in the atonement, okay? Because there's plenty of it there. But suffice to say, and, and honestly, even if I did, if you're not going to take it, check it out yourself, it wouldn't do any good. Uh, you need to get this into you. reason I'm saying that is this reason. At the, if it, when it comes down to it, the most important point concerning healing is whether or not it was included in the atonement. If it was included, and I don't even like using that word atonement because that means to cover, 
I'm not, our sins weren't covered. They were remitted. Okay. Uh, so it's really in redemption, not healing and atonement, but that's just the term everybody uses now. But if healing, we have to realize if healing was in redemption, if physical bodily healing was included in redemption, then we can be as free to proclaim it as we are free to proclaim God's acceptance of any sinner at any time of any sin. Does that make sense to you? In other words, the worst sinner, the more God gets glory when he saves them, right? So the worst condition physically you're in, the more glory to God when he heals you. See, here's the problem in, in what the church has done is we have made this thing about the sick person. And we have to realize it's not about the sick person. You know, we have turned our, our attention toward them and we have always directed the attention toward the sick. And we said, okay, and, and well, let me, let me be very specific. What we have done in the church is we have turned all of our attention toward either the sick person or God. We either put the blame on the sick or we put the blame on God. It's either sin in your life while you're not getting healed or it's not God's will. Right? It's either sin in your life or sin. Now it even goes beyond that. Now it's sin in your granddad's life. And now it's sin in your great granddad's life. And, you know, well, I found traces of, you know, my great, great, great grandfather, uh, you know, was, a, was a, a door greeter at the Masonic Lodge. So now I got this horrible thing. Come on. It's like, really? Come on. You know, how far back do you have to go to find some kind of sin in your family? All right. Well, I found this in my family. What do you, let me ask you this. Do you think they told all their sins? You think there might have been a sin they were hiding that they didn't tell anybody about? Because whether you know about it or not, doesn't matter whether it's true. And if they if they committed a sin, see, you might know of a sin they committed. Maybe they were alcoholic. Maybe they were, you know, whatever, whatever you want to consider a sin. Maybe that was them. But there, may, there might have been sins they didn't tell people about. And if you go back and try to find them, you can't even find them because they never confessed to them. And if that's true, well, then you're just out of luck. That's just too bad for you because you can't go back and break that thing. No, let me tell you, my generation, we'll get in this tomorrow, we talk about generation curses. My generation, your generation, if you're born again, goes back one generation to Jesus. Hallelujah. You understand? My, my generation does not go back to my earthly dad, then go back to my earthly family, anybody else. It goes back to Jesus, right? I have a father. I have a heavenly father, not a heavenly grandfather, not a heavenly uncle, right? He's my father. So if there's anything that's going to come to me, it's going to come through him. Right. And the only thing that comes down from the father above is what? Every good and perfect gift. He is the father of lights and that's good things that come from him. And that's who that's my lineage. So if I've got something in my lineage coming to me, I can tell you what it is. It's generational blessings, Amen. not generational curses. Right. Amen. Because I have no generation. That man's dead and he no longer lives. And as Christ lives in me and he became a curse for me, so I don't have to suffer those things. So curses be gone. Okay. It's that simple. Now, all you got to do is stop believing in them. Right. And quit paying, uh, quit buying the books that, that tell you you got them. And, you know, first they got, here's the curses that you got to break. And here's the, the, the blockage that keeps you from breaking the curses. They got to come out with a different book pretty much every six months because that's when the rent goes up. And so they need new books because they need more new, they need new money from you and you keep them going. Yeah. I told God one time, I said, why did, why did that why do you let that happen? Why do you let that go on? Why don't you close that thing down? I was talking about some Christian, so-called Christian television stuff. So why don't you shut that thing down? He said, I've been trying to for years and Christians keep on supporting it. 
I'm like, okay, well, makes sense. Why? Because they keep giving their money because they got to, you know, I have a word from God. Psalm 77, 17. So if you send in your check for $77.17, you will have the Psalm 77 blessing. Right? And, you know, you might as well call the guy P.T. Barnum. Right? Because a sucker's born every day and a fool and his money are quickly parted. Right? Quit supporting things that don't portray Jesus. Amen? And try to guilt you into paying for stuff and buying stuff and, you know, you know, everybody came out against the Catholic Church because they were selling indulgences. What do you think the Protestant Church has done? We've done exactly the same thing. Selling this thing, selling that. Oh, we'll get you free for a price. Man, it's weird to say the same thing Peter and him said. Your money perish with you, right? You can't buy what I've got, right? People say, well, you know, I'll give you this much money. I remember when John G. Lake III, John Lake's grandson, called me on the phone. He had kidney problems. And he called me on the phone and said, and just before we even really got into it, uh, I, I recognized who he was and we started talking about that. And he said, well, the reason I called is I want you to know I, I will send you a check for $25,000 if you can get me healed. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, first off, I mean, I knew right then he hadn't heard a thing in the world we'd ever preached. And I said, first off, we don't do it that way. And I said, I will be glad to, to minister healing to you. I said, your, your granddad has been good to our family. He's helped us. He's helped me not bury a child. I said, so, I, you know, I, I thank him for that. And because of that, it's my privilege to minister to you. I said, but you can't send me money for your freedom because you can't buy what I got. And so we talked quite a bit. I prayed for him. He, 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 he got well. He was well for about six years, I guess, six or seven years. And then all of a sudden went a different direction and took a nosedive and ended up passing away uh, years later. And so these things, we have to realize, even he, for some reason, thought that money had something to do with this. And money's got nothing to do with healing. Amen? Jesus paid the price. So, I gotta, we got to take a break. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll pick this back up. And we will uh, finish up for today.